The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of Reality Realty are not necessarily the views or opinions of Northumberland 89.7 FM. The information given is designed to be informative and helpful. You should always consult a professional when buying or selling your home. This is Reality Realty. I'm Dale Bryant, and I'm a real estate broker with Royal LePage Pro Alliance Realty Brokerage. And at this time each week, we bring you Northumberland 89.7 FM's Reality Realty, your local real estate forum, where we take on, we talk about, and we interview guests on all things real estate with a direct focus on Northumberland County and the communities within it. Co-hosting with me this morning is Catherine Gissing. Uh, getting getting ready for the mic there, Catherine. Uh, Catherine is the owner of Sage Relocation Services right here in Northumberland County. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning, Dale. We're a little bit we're a little bit frazzled here. We just we got in and we we did the intro twice because we love it so much. And uh, uh, yeah, I can't I can't say it's from requests from the listeners, but uh, yeah, here we go. One of those days, I guess. Uh, Catherine, you. Once a month, you come in, you co-host with me, you produce a show. Thank you. I, I so much appreciate it. And you you get the greatest shows, Catherine. And today, you have spared no expense. You brought in the president. So can you, can you tell us a little bit about what we're going to do in a few minutes from now? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for that, Dale. And I'll tell you that actually today I brought in my friend and also... Oh, you rub shoulders with the president. I do. I try to hobnob with the best. <laughs> <laughs> and so today we welcome Diane Chin. So in addition to being a friend, Diane was my past realtor mm-hmm. when I first came to Coburg and did a wonderful job for me at that time. And she's now the president of ACO Coburg and Eastern Northumberland. And they ACO is a remarkable organization and there is so much to talk about what they do in order to preserve the architectural cultural of our county mm-hmm. and Diane's exactly the person to tell us a little bit about who they are the organization of the ACO, but more importantly, what they're doing to recognize the 150th year celebrations of Canada, because people that live in the county will know that we are really grateful to have such a rich heritage of architectural preservation. There is, We have an inordinately high percentage of, of really well-preserved old homes, and ACO is uh, got a couple of, organ- of activities running this year to tap into that asset base and really help us as, as um, you know, residents of the county understand what we have and enjoy some of that. Well, we will we will give her a formal introduction in just a moment. We'll begin right now with snapshot, which is snapshots a look at today's residential real estate market here in Northumberland County. There have been 176 single family residential sales over the past month. It's it's on a slight downward trend and it leaves us with an inventory of 256 residential listings for sale. Over the past year, the average selling price of successful sales has increased again to approximately $378,000 here in Northumberland County. On average, uh, people are receiving just over 100% of their asking price in a market time of 40 days. <clears throat> Northumberland County 
is in the seller's market with an absorption rate of 69%, and that's based on the past month's sales trends. So that, that absorption rate has come down uh, considerably from two weeks ago when it was actually 85 in the week before 88 and the week before 102 so we're down to 69 so I was just talking to somebody in the studio before we were on and they were asking me about the market and I said you know what they were wondering if it has calmed down a bit I said yes I said it's like traveling 175 miles per kilometer down the 401 instead of 200 kilometers was still way too fast so I research these Northumberland County statistics and calculate the absorption rate using information from List Central. And List Central is a local realtor component of the MLS system. So if you're thinking of buying or selling a home, you want this information, but you'll want it to be more area specific, more specific to the property type you're dealing with and the price band it's in. So talk to your local realtor to understand the Northumberland market information that's m most relevant to you. Mortgage rates. Mortgage rates have come down slightly. Uh, five-year fixed is now as low as 2.44%, and a five-year variable is now as low as 1.9%. And today's mortgage rates come to us from mortgage broker, Carol Ann Bryant with the Broker Financial Group. That is your current snapshot of the residential real estate market in Northumberland County. And I'd just like to remind you that the views and opinions expressed by me, co-hosts, guests of the show, or any of the articles presented do not represent the views and opinions of the station of the Northumberland Hills Association of Realtors or of any real estate brokerage or of any other realtor. They're simply our views and opinions at this time. So, Catherine, would you like to give our guests an official welcome? Sure. Thank you, Dale. So, this is the official welcome to Diane Chin, who's the president of ACO Coburg and East Northumberland. She also has, happens to be chair of an upcoming event, which is a house tour. And we're going to be talking about not just ACO, but also the house tour plus one other activity that ACO has got planned for this year. Do we have time for all that? You know, we, we're going to have to bump into the second hour. That's a good question. You know, I started putting together the list of questions because before Dale and I come into the show, we actually do try to give it a little bit of thought and put some structure to it. Hopefully our our listeners can, can hear that. It's not all top of mind. Yeah. And as I put the list of questions together, I took a look at the, the list and I thought, oh, I have to pull some of those out of there because there's just so much to talk about because it's such a relevant and interesting organization. And this county in particular has such a vast collection of architectural homes that are really worthy of, of being recognized by ACO. So we're going to start at the very basic for our listeners to explain what the ACO is. And I'm going to try and pronounce it, and I'm going to tell you that I always trip over the second word. So ACO is the Architectural Conservancy mm -hmm. of Ontario. But I'm going to ask Diane if she'll explain really what the ACO is at a top level. Thank you so much, Catherine, and thank you, Dale, for having me on the show. It's a privilege to be here to speak about our organization. Yes, the Architectural Conservancy of Ontario, and is always abbreviated to ACO because it is rather a bit of a mouthful, um, is a provincial organization, and uh, we here in the Coburg area are one of the 24 branches that exist in Ontario. So the provincial organization is an umbrella group that is uh, accountable to CRA as all charitable organizations 
organizations are and manages that aspect and audits and the, those sorts of financial things as well as insurance for our, our organization in the event that we are hosting uh, events uh, outside of uh, um, in properties whereby you know there could be liability issues so the ACO Coburg and East Northumberland branch is the branch that I do that I represent and we are um, representing all of Northumberland except for the Port Hope area which has its own um, uh, organization thank you thank you that's a that's a big mouthful yeah. <laughs> and as an organization Diane could you summarize what what the mission is of the ACO? Um, ACO's mission or mandate is uh, basically to educate the uh, the public uh, and its members, of course, um, and advocate for built heritage and cultural uh, landscapes because sometimes it's not just a building that is of historical or heritage significance. It's also an area. Um, I know that in one example, and I can't remember exactly where, but somewhere in Ontario, there's actually a tree that has been designated as a um, of uh, and uh, has a designation as a cultural landscape. And so um, it's been there forever, and it looks like it's been there forever. And uh, so it's, it's, it is very broad uh, terminology. Um, we also do fundraising to support uh, individuals, um, specifically uh, property owners and also um, individuals, um, I guess, charitable organizations who may be in possession of a property um, in their work to renovate, restore, or repurpose that particular property. So our fundraising components do raise monies in order to help with those particular mission. Well, that's a, that's um, something that could be of interest to our listeners because there are, as we talked about, there's a great number of heritage homes in this in this area. If I were the owner of a heritage home, wait a minute, I am. <laughs> Since I'm the owner of a heritage home, how would someone like me learn more about the funds that are available in order to preserve the home? Right. Well, you would contact one of our executive members. Um, my um, my name, because I am the president, is the person whose contacted information is on the, the website, which you can find on the Internet. Um, all you would need to do is to Google Architectural Conservancy of Ontario. Don't Google ACO because you end up with all kinds of American organizations that have those same uh, letters. But um, if you Google the full name or call one of us, um, to get the information, we do have forms that individuals can fill in to apply for a particular grant. Um, our grants are are not huge. I mean, they're not they're not uh, um, hundreds of thousands of dollars. That is for sure. But certainly, it helps because it is more expensive to uh, to repurpose and to redo um, a historic home than it is to to do um, you know a, a more modern building. Mm-hmm. And I did look into this. Full disclosure, I did look into this a little bit when we first um, bought our home. And from what I recall, the grant is available for specific, there are specific guidelines to it. So you can't, as an owner, just decide, well, I want to paint the interior a bright fuchsia. That's not eligible for a grant. It has to be something that's specific to preserving the historical accuracy 
of the home. Exactly. Um, the town of Coburg does have guidelines for the exterior um, parts of buildings primarily. Um, there may be the odd case where the, an interior portion of a designated property also has guidelines with respect to its preservation or um, modernization, ex- uh, for example. Um, so we would obviously support whatever the town of Coburg's guidelines are in terms of paint color if someone were redoing the outside and, and uh, that was part of it. Um, so we work often uh, in tandem with the town of Coburg and the planning department on those particular uh, aspects of home preservation. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I'm going to throw out as a shout out to the town of Coburg and their planning department is that when we first bought our heritage home, the first thing we did was paint the exterior. Uh, a lot of older homes are badly in need of exterior paint and the planning department in the town of Coburg had they have a really wonderful program where they've already put together palettes that, uh, of chips of colors that are historically accurate in order to help you as a homeowner understand what your choices are and and I do believe if you don't find something in that palette but you go to your local paint store and they have a historical um a historical section of their own paints. Like if you went to, say, Benjamin Moore and you wanted to pick out of that, I believe the the township is good with that as well. Yes, I, I think that's true. Um, and also, if it's not currently a, a color, I know because I also um, I'm in a historic home. Uh, if it's not um, the color currently doesn't exist in their collection. If you bring the 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 um, the, the piece of uh, wood wooden piece that the town of Coburg gives you. If you bring that to the to Benjamin Moore, for example, and I'm sure that would be sure, true of any other paint store as well, they can actually match it with their computer and make up the, the color that, in fact, you want. So it's, it's not a difficult process at all. And, and Diane, you, you mentioned that uh, you, work, you work closely with the township, a municipality. Do they ever come to you for, for any counsel or any advice? Um, I've only been involved with the organization since 2014, so I, I should declare that up front. So certainly I'm not an expert on all of the goings-on with ACO in the town over the last number of years. And I only moved to Coburg in 2013. But um, certainly we do work. Uh, together, um, and um, I don't know that I've actually been impro- approached because I've always approached them first with respect to any concerns or any issues. And um, but my predecessors may, you know, may have had an experience whereby they were approached. Mm-hmm. Diane, one of the things I found m- most interesting about ACO was understanding where it came from. You know, when it was founded, and sort of the story about, you know, how the idea came to life and. That that story is actually tied in with the Barnum House outside of Grafton, which some of our listeners might be familiar with. And they're, if they're not, shame on them, because it's a remarkable piece of, our, of architectural heritage, and it's really well worth a visit. So maybe, Diane, you can just give us a little bit of history about the founding of ACO and how it's tied into Barnum House. Yes, actually, it's very timely, because um, the current um, one of the benefits of belonging to ACO is you, that you do get um, a couple of publications, one of which is a print magazine, a lovely glossy magazine, that you get sent to you um, and in that particular current issue is an article written by one of our former past presidents of the provincial organization about Barnum House and Barnum House is the uh, the the reason ACO was founded in 1933 um, there was an architectural professor 
so he was professor of architecture at the University of Toronto by the name of Eric Arthur and he had come to teach at the university from New Zealand and he was rather um, upset by the lack of preservation of cultural landscapes and built heritage in the province of Ontario when he arrived and although he was a modernist and built some amazingly modern structures like a lot of the um, uh, meatpacking plants in Toronto which seems like a rather odd thing for an architect to to be remembered for but Canada Packers was um, I think he did 27 of their particular properties at that time um, and in fact, the McLean family who owned Canada Packers have uh, quite an exhibit on Eric Arthur in, uh, they have a museum. Anyway, Eric Arthur came across Barnum House as he was had devised a summer project for his students to photograph interesting heritage buildings around the province of Ontario. And he absolutely fell in love with this particular property, which had been owned by Elijah Barnum and had been built in the, in fact, it's coming up to its 200th anniversary in two years from now. So in 2019, it will have been standing there for 200 years. So um, he photographed the home. He, he did get inside. One of the members of the family at that time was quite ill, and so it was difficult to attain the interior. But he did photograph it, and he actually spent his own money. And, and you know, this was 1933, was in the middle of the Depression. And uh, the house was, um, when the owner had passed away, it was on the market for $4,500, if you can believe it. <laughs> Dale will be interested in that, being a real yeah. estate person. <laughs> Seems awfully low. <laughs> <laughs> and he had $450 to put down on the property, which was going to really, really make his family struggle because he was earning a, a salary that at that time of $2,700 a year. So that was, that was a challenge for him. So a number of individuals, including some of the people from Canada Packers, um, uh, enabled him to uh, raise enough of the rest of the money to actually buy the building. So it was the first property that was actually bought for the purpose of preservation and as a result of that they established the Architectural Conservancy of Ontario as a foundation. Great story. Yeah. And you know what? This is a perfect time for us to take our first break. Uh, I can't believe we're already here. So, folks, you've been listening to Reality Realty, Northumberland, 89.7 FM's local real estate talk. Join us after the break. And we'll continue to learn more about Coburg's branch of the Architectural Conservancy of Ontario and an upcoming event that you'll want to participate in. Don't go away. Welcome back. This is your local real estate forum. Northumberland 89.7 FM's Reality Realty with Dale Bryant and Catherine Gissing. And our guest today is President of the Architectural Conservancy of Ontario, Coburg's Branch, Diane Chin. So, Catherine, where did we leave off just we, before break? We left off talking about the history of ACO. Mm -hmm. And our listeners may recall, if they were listening carefully, that we talked about the fact that we thought we had a lot of questions for this hour and we're just looking yeah. at the clock and thinking we have way too many questions and way too much to talk about with the ACO and so I'm going to fast forward a little bit 
because I can do that. I've got the liberty to do that. We have the power here. (laughs) We have the power. Because really what we want to focus on today is talking about the upcoming event celebrating the 150th year. And ACO has got some really wonderful things happening, two Mm. in particular. And Diane's exactly the person to tell us about both of them. And so I'm going to fast forward and talk about the event that's being titled Coburg's Gilded Age. America's Summer Homes, or Summer Houses, rather. It's an upcoming event. There are tickets on sale right now, and it's an event that highlights six of the really wonderful properties that have historical heritage in the county. And I'm going to ask Diane to tell us a little bit about that, and more importantly, whether how, pe- how our listeners get access to tickets, and if there's any left. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yes, we have sold a lot of the tickets, but the good news is, for those of you out there who don't have your tickets yet, uh, there are still some tickets available, and I will indicate to you in a moment uh, where you can get those tickets. Yes, it is entitled Coburg's Gilded Age, American Summer Houses, and um, it is basically to celebrate some of the very grand properties that exist in Coburg. Um, Americans discovered Coburg in the 1870s, and it was primarily... Um, um, I'm a bit of a history buff, so I may bore you with too many details, but it was <laughs> primarily as a result of the fact that um, many uh, industrialists in the Pittsburgh area were ge- were uh, getting their iron ore from the Marmara area up on Rice Lake. And so they would come north to check out their mines and discover the little town of Coburg that they would um, arrive at. And you have to remember, there was no 401 or no Highway 2 in those days. Uh, people traveled by train and by uh, boat across the ferry across Lake Ontario. So when the ferry docked, it was at, at uh, Coburg, and um, and the, the Coburg ferry ran, for those of you who are newer to town, until the 1950s. And so that was how many Americans accessed our wonderful little spot. And of course, it had a natural beach, and they even believed, if you, if you look at the history, they even believed the ozone was better in Coburg. So many Americans who may have had respiratory issues, and of course, Pittsburgh area being an industrial area, smelting all of this iron ore, was, did not exactly have clean air. So maybe we did have a better ozone area. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, more than likely we did. And Diane, what, what would be the population of Coburg at that time when they were visiting? Uh, it was it was definitely a couple of thousand. It was probably uh, larger than a lot of areas in, in the area. When, and I'm not sure. I think it might have been in the area of, of two to 3,000 at mm-hmm. that time. Uh, the homes that they that they, um, they what they initially did actually in fact is they stayed in hotels and there were many grand hotels that have now since disappeared. Those hotels would, were standing in what is now Victoria Park in Coburg. So initially they would just stay in the hotels, but then they started renting homes that uh, uh, other well-to-do Canadians uh, made available to them, and uh, and as well and then after that when they really become, came quite a number of them, they started building grand homes, representing a variety of architectural styles that they wanted to emulate from the United States and from places overseas where perhaps their families had come from. So as a result of that, we have quite a heritage. Now, quite a lot of the homes over the years, of course, have burned down or had or have been taken down. But we do have a very large number of homes, especially on the eastern side of Coburg, along along King Street East. And Diane, just a question about the homes. Then were they built really as a summer residence only? 
Um, no, in some cases, they, uh, Americans actually, uh, for example, example, Nellie Sartoris Grant, who was General Ulysses S. Grant's daughter, she remained in her home th- uh, for most of the year. I mean, many of these people were wealthy enough, just like very wealthy people today, where they had multiple homes in multiple countries. But no, it wasn't just a place for summering, although in the summer it certainly was uh, very, very busy with uh, picnics and golfing um, and balls and and uh, variety of of summer activities going to the beach etc in fact then too uh when you think when we think of international travel right now you're usually thinking of going to europe or asia or somewhere like that but really and truly that that trip across the ferry to canada would have been uh you know real legitimate international travel even and it still is today but i mean it would have seemed like a much bigger deal back then Yes, it's certainly only something the very wealthy could participate in, that's for sure. So we have this we have this inventory of wonderful homes and as Catherine said there are six of them that are going to be available on the tour. So um, what the day comprises is a lecture at one o'clock given by Tom Cruikshank who is uh, a notable author. Uh, he was the editor of Harold Smith magazine and he's written a number of books um, on. Um, uh, on houses um, uh, and properties and in, in, in history, of course, in, of Ontario. Uh, the date of the event is May the 27th, and as I said, it starts at 1 o'clock, and the um, initial lecture, which is given by Tom, will be at uh, CR, I, pardon me if I pronounce this wrong, Gummo, I believe, mm-hmm. public school in, in, uh, on Cottesmore Avenue in Eastern Coburg, and um, there is parking there. Um, we are selling 200 tickets, so it will be a, a large group. And his lecture uh, will last just about an hour, which is probably the, mo- the most people can, uh, you know, can listen to because after that uh, we all lose our concentration. So at that point in time, you are then free to, on your own with your family, uh, view uh, view any of the six homes. Now, one of the houses which I'm very excited is on, as part of our tour is entitled Ravensworth, and it is on Fitzhugh Lane. That particular property is difficult to access because Fitzhugh Lane is a very um, narrow road leading down to a few properties at the end of it. So we have provided as part of the ticket um, and I'll tell you the ticket price in a moment we have provided a a shuttle bus that is easy to access it's one of the newer types of buses and it will be available in Gamo Public School parking lot from when the lecture is over at 2 until the end of the event which is at 6.30 in the afternoon so from from 2 o'clock until um, 5.30 5 to 5.30, you can view the homes. At, at 5, actually, um, we will have a reception at Ravensworth, which is the home that's at the end of Fitzhugh Lane. That will be a wine, cheese, and appetizer reception. It is such a large, beautiful home and property right on Lake Ontario that it can house all 200 people that we are going to be selling tickets to. Tickets are $55, and they are available at Quinn Blooms and Greenery in Coburg and at Holton Flowers in uh, Port Hope. Um, 
when you buy your ticket, it looks like a booklet, and in that, all of the details that I've just gone over will be explained. So you don't worry. You do not have to remember everything that I've just told you. And I will say, because I bought my ticket early, that the booklet is a piece of art itself, and, and it gives a lot of historical context for each of the properties that you're about to see, um, recognizes the sponsors of the event, and talks a little bit about ACO. It's a really beautiful piece of work. So Diane, it starts with it starts with the lecture at the at Gummo School, then then people get in these buses and are are they taken around to all six? No, sorry, I wasn't very clear on that. The bus is only for the for one property, which is Ravensworth, because it's difficult to access. The other five properties, which I can speak to speak about if there's time, mm-hmm. um, you go, you have to go on your own. Some of them are close enough to Gamo that you could probably walk to them. But there is one, for example, that's on the other side of town um, that is commonly known as Villa St. Joseph. So it's at the bottom of Tremaine Street on Monk. But in our booklet, we are calling it. Claremont, because that is how Nellie Sartoris Grant called her particular property at that time when she was uh, um, when she was living there for quite a number of years. Diane, I'm going to ask you to tell us what the six homes are in a minute. We'll keep our listeners in suspense because I think it's worth waiting for all that good stuff. But I'm interested in knowing what the process was for selecting the homes because the, the county has such a collection of really interesting properties. How did you go through the process of figuring out which homes to include? Um, well, we we um, we worked with Tom, who does who had written an article um, about this very topic for um, Watershed Magazine some years ago. So he certainly was aware of which homes were um, part of this particular theme. We wanted to have something that was a little bit different from your standard um, house tours. A lot of the house tours that have been done in the past in Coburg, not by our organization. ACO has never done a house tour. We did a movable feast in the late 90s, but not it was not a house tour per se. So we wanted something with a theme, and he had done this. So that was how we chose the particular theme. And um, then he had recommended some homes. There were many other homes that we could have uh, utilized as well, but not everyone is, is happy to have 200 people march through their home. So, it, you know, there's always a limiting factor with that in that aspect. And uh, we wanted homes that were, you know, in the downtown core. We didn't want... Uh, we didn't feel that there would be enough time for people to be running up to, say, Oliver's Lane or any of the other areas where there are some other houses as well that might have fit the criteria. So um, so that was how we arrived at the six. Um, we were initially thinking we would only get two or three uh, homes, maybe four at the most, but we were fortunate in that we had more individuals um, who were happy to be part of it than what we had originally hoped for. So, Diane, from the beginning, when, when this starts with the lecture until the final meet at the end of Fitzhugh Lane, how long is that whole event? Uh, five and a half hours. Five and a half hours. So, like a game of golf. I'm thinking it's really good value for five and a half hours. Yes. But, I mean, the time. If you're thinking about how much time, you know, that'd be a long, a long golf game. So. Yes. Plus, you're getting some really good food, cheeses and crackers and appetizers, uh, courtesy of the Dutch oven, and uh, a nice glass of wine. Maybe two if you're not driving. (laughs) (laughs) So now might be a good time to ask for a preview of, of what the six homes are on the tour. 
Okay. Uh, Claremont um, is the home that we commonly call Villa St. Joseph, and that's a particularly interesting home because it was uh, uh, purchased um, uh, and lived in by the Grant family. And, of course, uh, Ulysses S. Grant was a two-term American president. And, Diane, just remind us, where is that home? That home is at the bottom of Tremaine Street, and it's actually Monk Street, 445 Monk Street. And, of course, when you get your ticket slash booklet, uh, it'll have the address, and there's also a map in there, so that's for those people who don't know the streets in Coburg, because we have, we've sold tickets uh, from as far, as far away, by the way, as people, people living in Waterloo who have heard about this particular event, mm-hmm. so it's... Uh, and for people who are perhaps unfamiliar with that area, I can point out that it's right next to the community gardens, which are owned by, I believe, the people that own the property right yes. now? Yes, the Sisters of St. Joseph. Uh, who live on the property and do rent it out as a retreat residence to all faiths and spiritual belief systems. So anyone uh, who wants to do that, to rent it, to rent it out, are, avail- are able to do that, except not on May the 27th when we are having our tour. Um, but yes, they run the, the community gardens and support the food bank in Coburg as well. So I'm very pleased that uh, we are able to be working with them on this particular project because they do good work in town. And that particular house has some very interesting pieces of history and and maybe you can just give us a little snapshot of Yes. One item in particular that's in that, that, that house that's worth talking about. Yes, there is an item that is, was of particular concern in the 1960s. Uh, the Sisters of St. Joseph, whose mother house is up in Peterborough, received a letter from the White House in the early 1960s, signed by Jacqueline Kennedy, indicating that there was a mirror in that home that they would like returned to the White House because it had been removed from the White House at the, uh, I guess, at the end of the presidency of Ulysses S. Grant. And Sister Superior, being the strong individual that she was, wrote back and said, and Dale will understand this, that when uh, the property was purchased in 1922 from the estate of the Grant family, um, it, the uh, mirror in question was one of the chattels um, in the agreement of purchase and sale. And as such, they had a legal right to that mirror and therefore would not be returning that mirror to the White House and to Jacqueline Kennedy. I wonder if Donald Trump is aware of this. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I think he's got other things to be worried about. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. So, so that is, an, and of course, it's it's right on Lake Ontario. It has a beautiful facade. The interior has been changed because over the years it's been used as an orphanage. But um, I would ask, and I won't give away any more tidbits about it, but the I would ask that when people are going through, that they pay particular attention to the arch- architectural components in what is now currently the chapel, which you will be able to see. It has an interesting aspect to it, as for it sure. It does. It has a really interesting piece of history, and uh, I don't know that time allows us to talk about it right now, and I think it's worth people coming to buy the tickets yeah, you so can't they can tell hear them everything. the whole thing. You can't tell, we can't tell you everything. So the next house is Vincent Cottage, and all of these, these properties do have names because in this particular time period, um, especially because these people were of a certain uh, group of people, that they always had a name for their particular property. Well, this one's on Walton Street, 262 Walton Street, and this home has existed since the 1840s, and it was initially owned by Canadians, but during the early years of the 20th century, the house was rented to American visitors. So not all homes on the tour were 
actually owned. Some of them were, were prominent. But it's interesting architecturally because it certainly, it doesn't look like a lot of uh, the homes that we have um, in the U.S. and Canada. It's a Regency style. It looks more like a French, a home that you, you might see in, in French. So um, very lovely and uh, very interesting. Um, owned by the Bolton family and Walton Beck, and that's hence it's uh, sometimes called the Beck House. Diane, one question on behalf of our listeners. Are they, are they able to take pictures in these properties when they tour? Um, no, no pictures. Um, pictures have already been taken. Um, and in actual fact, there will be, um, subsequent to this um, particular event, there is going to be a book on sale. Um, I, I must... Uh, thank Lighthouse Press who've been integral in taking pictures for our brochure and who are working with um, Rob Michael who is um, a renowned historian in the area and a book is going to be published and there will be a lot of these um, homes and their pictures in the book but they know a lot of the uh, owners have not um, do not feel comfortable with pictures being taken and that's certainly understandable that's for good security to know. purposes. That's good to know and it's also good to know about the book and I have talked with uh, Suzanne Sagan from Lighthouse to get an idea of the extent of the collection of homes that are going to be in this book. And for people that love architectural preservation and really love the county, this is a book worth waiting for and buying because it's extensive in its knowledge. It's very well researched. The photos are brilliant. And it gives you, in one location, it gives you just an overview of the beauty of the heritage that we have in the county. When will that book be available? Do you know, Catherine or, or Diane? Um, it, we were hoping for it to be available to, to be published by the time that uh, this event occurs, but there have been a, a number of rewrites. As you can imagine, there, um, I believe they're calling it 150 for Canada's 150th, so it's a lot of properties, so there have had to be a, a number of revisions, so it won't be available for this, but certainly sometime this year and hopefully sooner um, than later in the year. Uh, the third house, uh, McDonald House, is at, at 303 Henry Street. And this home would have been part of the, of the strong social scene that was existing at the time when, when these Americans were um, peopling uh, the town of Coburg. Uh, particularly interesting because of, the, of its bay windows and gothic attic light and, and gingerbread gable. And it's a little more restrained than some of the other typical Victorian houses, but very, very lovely to see. Diane, one of the questions that I have, having gone on previous tours, not in this area, but previous architectural tours, is sometimes I found that traffic control through the homes can be a bit of a challenge. And is there a plan in place to control the amount of foot traffic that goes through at any one time? Yes, that's a really good question, Catherine. Thank you for asking me that. Um, we have in each of the properties a house captain who will be there for um, uh, for the the number of hours that the uh, tour is, is in existence. So I guess it will be from, from 2 until 5. And we have shifts of four, 3 to 4 people, depending on the property, in some cases 5, uh, for an hour and a half each, who will marshal people through and so indicate a particular pathway through the property that they would need to, to take for security purposes, for traffic flow purposes, and also to uh, make sure that people do see 
Jacqueline Kennedy's mirror, for example, and other interesting items that uh, would be uh, in the property. We want, I would like to take this moment just to thank all of the volunteers because you can just imagine with six houses on tour and with two shifts of an hour and a half each and three or four people, we have an amazing group of people who are volunteering in these homes. So we really want to thank them for that. Well, ladies, we have to take a break. So, folks, we've ha- we have three homes on the tour down. We have three more to talk about, so don't go away. You've been listening to Reality Realty, Northumberland 89.7 FM's local real estate talk. Join us after this break, and we'll look at the last three homes on the tour this summer. Welcome back. This is your local real estate forum, Northumberland 89.7 FM's Reality Realty with Dale Bryant and Catherine Gissing. And our guest today is Diane Chin. Diane is president of the Architectural Conservancy of Ontario, the Coburg branch here. And before the break, we were talking about the Coburg's Gilded Age American Summer Home Tour that's happening this summer. And Diane, you were reviewing the first three homes that will be on the tour. Uh, Why don't you tell us about the next home? Okay, the next one is entitled Midfield, and that's 427 King Street East, built in 1877. That's uh, often called the Blue House. That's at the end of of, uh, Brook Road South, I believe. Um, It was... uh, also, like like many other homes in Coburg, it was renovated a number of times, and so it doesn't. This one doesn't have a particular name in terms of its architectural style because it's it's had a number of, of evolutions. But uh, it was uh, built um, in 1877 by an as- political associates of Sir John A. Macdonald. So certainly fitting in Canada's 150th that our first prime minister's associate's home is also on our tour, and that it also happens to fit with our particular uh, theme. Um, it was pr- uh, purchased by George Howe in 1905, an American uh, who was part of the summer uh, colony. And uh, it really formed one of the main um, group of homes on King Street uh, East that uh, really was prevalent at that particular time in terms of grandiose structures. Um, it's near, right near Strathmore, which is our fifth home, and it's looks like the White House in the U.S. and and is a White House here in Coburg. And uh, although it is currently owned by the provincial government, the exterior is primarily in the original condition, beautifully preserved over the years. A little bit changed inside, as you can imagine, because uh, it's comprised of offices, but certainly worth seeing and an opportunity for um, for, people for those of us in Coburg who don't get an opportunity to go into this particular um, building. The last building is Ravensworth, and I mentioned that before, and that's the one, again, that you will need to take the shuttle from Siargamo School, and the the shuttle will be going back and forth all afternoon from 2 until 5 o'clock, and will continue at 5 o'clock starting to bring people back who may not be able to stay long for the the reception, who maybe need to head off to dinner or other uh, uh, engagements. So it will run continually until 6.30. So 
um, you will have that opportunity. Uh, Ravensworth um, was built by General Fitzhugh, who was a Union soldier, of course, in the American Civil War. So this was really uh, very much an American home. Um, and it was designed by architects from Cincinnati, uh, and it was built in 1897. So there was also a companion home that was right beside it that was built for General Fitzhugh's son, and it burned down in 1976. So what we do have the one, it's right on the lake, and it's absolutely gorgeous. To me, it's worth you know, a lot just to go and see that particular home and to have that lovely reception there. And we just pray for good weather that particular day because we would like to have that reception outside. And speaking of good weather, I would remind people that they need to plan for the day because there are some traffic control um, parameters in place. It means that you may be waiting outside if a particular home is full at that moment. So keep an eye on the weather. Keep an eye on, on the humidity and the rain and, and dress accordingly. Yes, and we will also be providing booties uh, for individuals to put on as they go through the houses just in case that, well, we're going to ask all people to, to have the booties regardless of the weather just to slip over your shoes. That way you're not having shoes and we don't have 50 pairs of shoes at the front entrance of the home because in some cases you'll go in the front and out the back. So booties will be provided as part of your ticket price. Diane, something you said that was of interest to me on the fourth home that that you reviewed, the first one we did just after break, and you mentioned something about having difficulty in in really labeling it with a, a certain architectural type, and and I can appreciate that on almost every home because i'll take a look at a home and i'll think okay is that is that gothic is that victorian is that arts and crafts and and i'll and i might even have a reference right in front of me and describing the different features architectural features that you might find in one home and another home and my goodness with all my best efforts i i i most often walk away saying could be this or could be that and is is that common? Yes, it's very common, especially for those of us who are not architects and who haven't spent all of these years uh, studying many aspects. Most of us look at windows and front doors and whether or not it has a center hall plan. But unfortunately, I mean, because these houses have been around for many, many years, they get changed. I mean, some beautiful brick structures are now covered with aluminum siding. Um, windows get modernized and updated and closed in. So it makes it very difficult today to ascertain um, many cases what the style was but some homes are very original I mean Ravensworth really is is one of the few homes that has been always maintained by a private family and maintained uh, in the original in, uh, way it was designed so that you know that's really fortunate for us here in Coburg mm-hmm. Diane is there any thought about making this an annual event is it too early even to throw that idea out into discussion um, we've really enjoyed doing this and it is a lot of work and um, we also I also would like to, to thank our sponsors um, you will see in your ticket that we have a number of businesses here in Coburg who have uh, sponsored us and we really appreciate uh, their sponsorship because it does cost money to uh, certainly to print these booklets and to do some of the um, things that we need to do the advertising etc for this kind of an event so um, so thank you to, to 
to them and uh, and and we would hope we're not a large organization in terms of our membership so we're looking at hopefully doing another one in perhaps two years um, it also depends on any other organizations that might be doing the same thing in Coburg because we uh, we don't want to um, to be competing with other historical or um, groups that that would be doing something similar, but uh, yes, we would like to continue doing this uh, down the road. Different theme, of course, uh, looking at different uh, houses and different aspects of houses. And for those of who are members of ACO, and I would encourage anyone who's interested in these kinds of of um, uh, issues um, that we do often have pop-up tours. There are sometimes realtors who, who are very open to having um, my group come in um, and do a separate little open house for just our group. So there are perks to belonging to our organization. Pop-up open, uh, open houses, uh, lectures, that sort of thing. And Or sometimes just people who have a home will allow us to do a tour or will do a walking tour. So consider joining us if, if this is of interest to you. And Diane, before we run out of time, there is a second event being run by ACO in the community this year. And let's talk about that a little bit. Yes, uh, we received a grant from the town of Coburg um, for can- to celebrate Canada's sesquicentennial. It's another mouthful. Um, and what that um, grant is allowing us to do is to identify all the homes that were standing in Coburg in 1867. And believe it or not, we have an inventory of over 200 properties, which is amazing considering that we've had, you know, the homes that were demolished or homes that have burned down, etc. So we are with our owner's permissions and we have not uh, tackled that part of the project yet. Once we get our house tour done, we're moving on to project number two. But our signs are currently in the process of being readied for printing. Um, we've got, the monies are in, is, is in the bank, and we will be approaching homeowners and, in a few cases, their their public properties uh, to gain permission to put a sign either on their lawn or in their front window, wherever they were, are comfortable with a sign. And we hope to have those signs up by Canada Day and have them remain through the tourist season until September. And is there any thought to having to publishing a map with the location of those homes for people that are interested in seeing the whole inventory? Yes. For those of you who are technically inclined, the signs will include a QR code, and that QR code will link to the town's website. But for those of you who don't know about QR codes and don't care about QR codes, there will be a web, the website information on the sign. You can go to that. The town's website has a heritage section, and in that heritage section will be listed all of the homes and a little bit about the history of those particular properties. And the QR code, that's, that's a really handy thing. You, you might be afraid of it at first, but your, your phone either naturally will have an app built in or you can download a free one. And you simply take your smartphone and you scan the, the code and it's something that looks like fuzzy checkers. And... And you'll instantly be uh, sent right to the link for that home or, or whatever you put a QR code on for. So it's not nothing to be afraid of. It's a, a great technology. So I think it's going to be wonderful. I mean, Canada Day is going to be quite the day here in Coburg, but with 200 of these signs around the town, that's, of course, with owners' permissions, and hopefully most owners will agree, um, we will be able to celebrate our heritage, as our built heritage, as well as our historical heritage. Now, this won't be a walkthrough, will it? This will no. just be like a parade, yes. stop in front of the home, 
admire it, yes. move on. Yes, that's right. It'll be something you do on your own whenever you want. It's, it's not something that we're organizing a walking tour for. We're just putting the signs up, putting all the information onto the town's heritage site, and allowing people uh, over about a two- to three-month period, as long as the uh, owners are willing to have the signs up, um, to view these uh, these homes. So it'll be nice for the tourists who come to town to see what's wonderful about our, our town, and maybe they will want to move here and buy a house, Dale. And, Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and because uh, we have such great... Uh, we, in fact, it was actually, I'm just thinking, the Globe and Mail had written an article back when Eric Arthur was alive about, in terms of the size of the town and the number of, of heritage homes, that it was absolutely amazing, and they did not know that there was any other town in Ontario who who could be equivalent in terms of the amount of historic properties. Nice claim to fame. Yes. And a good note to wrap up on. Yeah. Well, Diane, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Really interesting information. I, I'd encourage everybody to get on board, find those tickets at uh, the Florist Quinns in, in Coburg and Holton, Holton in Port Hope because there there's limited number of tickets. Uh, sounds like a really interesting um, event that you're planning. So thank you for sharing that with us this morning, Diane. And Catherine, thank you so much for co-hosting another show and producing another show for Reality Realty. A great time. Thank you, Dale. My pleasure as always. Yeah, and folks, if you have any questions or comments about today's show or for any real estate questions, feel free to contact me by emailing dale at dalebryant.ca or call into the radio station at 905-372-2391 and leave me a message. And Diane, if anybody has further questions about the ACO or about this event, how can they contact um, they can uh, email me at Diane, D-I-A-N-E, M, don't forget the M, Chin, C-H-I-N, so it's all one word, Diane M. Chin at gmail.com, or you can call at 289-435-2015. And don't forget to join me, Dale Bryant. I'm an active real estate broker with Royal LePage Pro Alliance Realty Brokerage. Join me next Thursday from 11 a.m. until 12 noon for Reality Realty on Northumberland 89.7 FM, truly local radio. Until next week, folks.